Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 11 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Well, Jamal Adams stole the ball. The Jets won a game for a change, and now they play the 1-8 Redskins on Sunday. Did somebody say winning streak? The Jets usually don't win two in a row that often. Last year, only once, weeks five and six against Denver and Indy. 2017, they actually won three in a row. In 2016, they won two in a row. So basically, it's kind of like Christmas. A winning streak happens once a year. And they should beat the Redskins, who are now starting rookie Dwayne Haskins for the rest of the year. He's been struggling. The Redskins have also lost eight in a row at home. But we'll see. You just never know. But uh, we have a great show. We'll get into more of the current state of the Jets coming up in the second quarter. Speaking of the Redskins, we're going to be talking to Jets wide receiver Jamison Crowder, the ex-Washington receiver. And in the third quarter, Twitter uh, mailbag questions. But for now, a little bit of a change up. I should have done this last week, but we got uh, so consumed by the Adam Gase speculation that we devoted a lot of time to that. And so now we're going to do the midseason awards. So let's call it the midseason plus one awards. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm going to categorize a lot of stuff here and summarize the 2019 season for the Jets. Let's start off with the best free agent signing. I just mentioned his name, Jamison Crowder, 48 catches, two touchdowns, a nice security blanket for Sam Darnold. The worst free agent signing, got to go with C.J. Mosley. And I know it's not his fault. He got hurt. He hasn't played in any complete games, and they're paying him $19 million this year. So I have no choice but to put him as the worst right now. Uh, a year from now, he could be the best. But for now, he's the worst. Uh, the Good Riddance Award goes to Tremaine Johnson. He hasn't got, He's not gone yet, but he will be. Trust me, he will be. $34 million. For 17 games over two years, he's a cautionary tale. You do not reach for need and overpay in free agency. More often than not, you get burned. Uh, the best moment, we just saw it a few days ago, Jamal Adams literally picking the pocket of Daniel Jones. That is the best moment of the season for the Jets. It happened against the Giants at home. It's a play you don't see that often, so that is the best moment. The worst moment. Well, I'm going with two, one on the field, one off the field. Off the field on September 14th when Adam Gase walked into the press room and announced that Sam Darnold had mono. At first, I thought he was joking. He was not. I think it was really a turning point in the season. And the worst moment on the field, I think this is a no-brainer. Just happened recently, losing to then-winless Miami was inexcusable, and so that's the worst moment. The most confusing strategy of the year, the whole Kalichi Osemele debacle. I, you know, I just don't understand to this day what the Jets were hoping to gain with that by not authorizing his surgery. That is the most confusing and really a bad look for the Jets, uh, most confusing strategy. Uh, the biggest surprise so far, I'm going with tight end Ryan Griffin. Tied for the league lead, or not, not the league lead, but the team lead in touchdowns with three. You know, he was basically an anonymous add-on at the beginning of camp, but he's done a real good job, especially with all the Chris Herndon injuries. He stepped in nicely at tight ends. My runner-up there would be Brian Poole, who's done a good job as the slot corner. He deserves a shout out. The biggest disappointment, I'm going with Ryan Khalil, the center. You know, I actually 
uh, praised this move when it happened at the start of camp. Eight and a half million dollars. I thought it was a good move getting a guy with that kind of resume, but it just hasn't worked out. Took him a long time to get going. The chemistry hasn't been great, as I wrote, you know, over a week ago that, you know, some guys were just a little chafed by that because they wanted to see Jonathan Harrison be the starting center. And now he is because Khalil is hurt. It just hasn't worked out with Khalil. And my, my runner up there would be Robbie Anderson. Only 24 catches, and I know it's not all his fault because of some of the pass protection issues, but Robbie, I know some of the coaches, uh, you know, sometimes scratch their head with some of his route running. His effort at times on some balls, on 50-50 balls, is not the greatest. So I think uh, Robbie would be the dis- uh, the runner-up in the disappointment category. The What Were They Thinking Award, I can summarize this in two words. Corey Vedvik. And really, I, I don't have to go much beyond that. The painful to watch award goes to Le'Veon Bell. He's averaging only three point yard, three point one per carry. I know the offensive line is not blocking well, so I think most of it goes on that. But it's still hard to watch. I mean, it's a it's a guy running into a brick wall against the Giants. Bell's average yards. Before contact on each rush was 0.5. Usually a running back will have 2.5 or 3. His was 0.5 yards per rush. That is just mind-boggling. He's basically getting hit as soon as he gets the handoff. His 3.1 per carry is the fifth lowest in franchise history. It just hasn't been working out with Bell. And every time he gets the ball, like I said, it's painful to watch. The best rookie. Tough call here, but I am going with uh, defensive lineman Kyle Phillips. He gets a slight edge over Quinnen Williams, their number one pick. They've, I broke it down. They've played pretty much the same amount of snaps. It's 310 for Phillips, 286 for Williams. But Phillips, uh, Phillips has had better production. 15 tackles, four quarterback hits, a half a sack, and five tackles for loss. Whereas Quinnen Williams... 10 tackles, three quarterback hits, one and a half sacks, and only two tackles for loss. Quinnen had a high ankle sprain, and he came back sooner than people thought, so I give him credit for that. But just based on production, I'm going with Kyle Phillips, undrafted out of Tennessee as their uh, best rookie. Now, lastly, the team MVP. I don't think there's much question about this. It's Jamal Adams. He's had an impact year. He has two touchdowns, which actually is tied for second on the team. A sad commentary on what the offense looks like right now, but you got to give it to Adams. He is, uh, he's been exceptional this year. So he wins the team MVP. Now, a couple of grades. You got You can't have a midseason report without some grades. Offense F. There's really not more I could add. I think you all know why it's an F. Defense. You know what here? I'm going to surprise you. I I look at football outsiders a lot, and they do a DVOA ranking, which is a a very comprehensive statistical analysis, and they rank the Jets' defense 19th in the league. So I'm going to give them a C. I think they've held it together pretty well considering all the injuries. And special teams, their DVOA ranking is 5th in the league. So I'm going to give them a B-, minus, which might be slightly generous considering all the field goal uh, kicking issues they had early in the year, but I'm going to go B minus there. Front office grade, you know, I, I, you could give an incomplete to Joe Douglas because he arrived after the draft, but I'm not going to take that route. I'm going to give him a B. I thought getting guys like Demarius Thomas 
Alex Lewis, Vincent Smith, and Griffin have helped. You know, they've helped in, in smaller type roles, and some of them are starting. On the downside, I thought he mishandled the kicking situation. They really went through a number of kickers early in the year. It didn't look like they had a plan. And also, I'm going to ding him for the Ryan Khalil signing. Again, I thought it was good at the time. I think they underestimated the value of chemistry and Khalil coming out of retirement. It just hasn't worked. So I'm going to hit him on that. The coaching, I'm going to give a D. You know, uh, Gase has not done a good job with the offense, but I'll give him credit for holding the team together. Still, still playing hard. Greg Williams, I think, has done a pretty good job considering the injuries at corner and linebacker. So, and, and Brant Boyer always does a jo- solid job on special teams. So I'm giving coaching a D. So there are the grades. There are the midseason plus one awards. And that is the end of the first quarter. And welcome back to the second quarter. This is the Green Room, welcoming in a special guest each week. This week, my conversation with Jets wide receiver, Jamison Crowder. I'm happy to have Jamison Crowder of the Jets with us. Jamison, uh, you know, so often in the NFL we see it takes a while for receivers and quarterbacks to develop a rapport, but you and Sam just clicked right away with 14 catches in the first game. It was crazy, crazy production. How did you guys get it going so quickly? Um, I think that it was, uh, you know, preparation, um, for that week. Uh, we knew that Buffalo liked to, you know, send, um, you know, nickel blitzes and things of that nature. So a lot of those catches, man, were, were, were short catches, uh, short yard passes, but it was, a lot of that was off of, you know, just reactions to the to the defense. And um I think that, you know, got off to a good start that game and uh, you know, just was just in sync that week. Um and uh so yeah, that's that's basically how that happened. I think you've been one of the bright spots on offense for the Jets so far. And, I, and I'm just wondering, you're giving them good production out of the slot position. What is the hardest thing to learn about playing the slot in an Adam Gase offense? Oh, uh, I mean, I think the hardest thing for me right now is just kind of knowing exactly what they want, what he wants. Um, I think, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, me being in a, in a, in a, in a certain system for four years, you know, I come here and I still kind of carry over some of the things that I learned in another system and how we ran certain routes, you know, against the defense. And, um, now here, you know, it'd be, there's certain little changes from that previous offense that I was in that Adam Gates, you know, they have in their offense. So I think that's the main thing right now is just trying to learn and see how they want things done and uh, just continue to, you know, learn that and build on that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's, that, that's been the most challenging thing. I think fans kind of take it for granted uh, when players go from team to team that it's just an easy thing. But when you're in a city for a few years and you have to go to a new place, what are some of the challenges that you had to confront when you come here? Not only football-wise, just off the field and moving your family and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you got to uh, definitely adjust to the to the area, you know, the climate. I mean, um, you know, Washington was cold, but uh, it's like it's a little colder up, up this right. way. And then uh, just, you know, the lifestyle. Um you know, it's, you know, just a bigger city, um, much more to do, which is cool. I like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's adjustment. You have to, you know, find housing and find somewhere to live and just, you know, uh, adjust to the food and everything. So it's just an adjustment when you make, when you make that jump from, you know, city to city, uh, which is cool though. I like it. Um, you know, I like traveling and, and uh, going to new places and I feel like I've adjusted well um, you know to being up here in, in, in this area New Jersey New Jersey New York area so um, yeah I, I've enjoyed the, the the change what's been the toughest part 
Uh, toughest part. Um, I mean, I think that one of the toughest parts is for me is finding you know somewhere to somewhere to eat. You know, finding good, really good restaurants. Um, you know, obviously asking around, asking guys. You know, what what the, do they suggest? Um, but you know, just finding restaurants and just finding places that uh, I can go and eat or go and just you know chill, hang out a little bit, relax and whatever. Uh, you know, just finding just finding places like that. So that's been the toughest part. But I'm so I'm starting to find you know a few places. So yeah, <laughs> we have a few good places here in New Jersey and New York for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been you know I've been to a few. I've been to a few places out there in New York. That's um, that's pretty good. So uh, you know, I'm you know still on the on the quest to find you know a few more places. But uh, I've been satisfied thus far. Um, when the fans hear this, they'll probably start uh, tw- tweeting you recommendations on the re- restaurants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, that's that's fine. I hope you know any just uh, send me you know any message to my any any suggestions to my Instagram, and I'll check them out for sure. Just on, one more thing on you and Sam. You, you guys, it looks like you'll be together for a few years, you know, maybe longer. What, what is it about him that you like, and does he remind you of any quarterback that you've played with in the past? Um, I think the thing that I like about him is that, you know, he's a baller. Um, he can, you know, he can extend plays and, you know, uh, make things happen downfield or, or when a play breaks down or protection breaks down, you know, he can get outside the pocket and, and uh, make things happen. I think that's where he – you know, I, th- I think he kind of thrives in that moment or in that uh, in that area. Um, you know, and I just enjoy, man. I just I, I just enjoy his his day to day. You know, his day to day tone. He come in, he doesn't um, you know say a whole lot, but he comes in day to day, and uh, you know he works and uh, tries to be the best quarterback he can be and be the best player he can be for the team. So uh, that's what I think I like about him the most. Interesting week for you. You knew this day was coming. You go back to FedEx Field. Uh, do you keep in touch with some of your old guys with the Redskins there? You know, you had four years with them. Uh, what kind of relationships do you have? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I got you know good relationships. You know, some of the guys that I played that I've played with um, there. Um, you know, Vernon Davis being one. DeShazer Everett. He's another guy. Um, you know, I, I keep in touch with them. You know, every now and then, I keep still keep in touch with uh, the receiver coach. I hear you. You know, I check in on him or he check in on me every now and then to see how things going. So, uh, you know, yeah, watch them and I, I enjoyed it out there. You know, I had, uh, you know, four, four solid years out there. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful that the Redskins was the team that gave me opportunity to, you know, come in, they drafted me, you know, to come into the league and, you know, just give me opportunity to display my talents, um, you know, in the National Football League. So, uh, I'm thankful for that. Thoughts on just what's happened to them this year? Um, having a similar kind of year. Yeah, I really can't say much. You know, it's um, you know, it's similar. Uh, you know, but I just, I just look forward to um, you know, playing against those guys um in FedEx. Uh, I think it'll be fun, and um, you know, going back to Washington playing there. So, uh, I'm just looking forward to that. You mentioned they drafted you out of Duke. It seems like the Dukies are taking over New York right now. We got Daniel Jones in with the Giants. We got RJ Barrett with the Knicks. Uh, are you a basketball fan? Do you watch the Knicks? And what do you know about RJ? Because the fans here are really excited about seeing him play. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, most, most certainly. I'm a basketball fan. Um, you know, I watched him last year at Duke. Um, I haven't really watched much of the Knicks. I wouldn't say I'm a, a huge Knicks fan, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I plan on, you know, going to a few games, you know, here and there if I have the time or, you know, even to step out and um, go to the game. Um, I actually, you know, went to the Duke game the other night at, at Madison Square Garden, my first time there. So that was cool. Uh, they beat Kansas. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan. You know, obviously, you know, Duke, Duke, Duke is my team. So, uh, you know, and uh, RJ, he's a really good player. Watched him last year. So, you know, I wish him well this year. Do you know Coach K at all? 
Um, I do. I've met him a few times, um, you know, around campus when I go back and train there. I've met him a couple times, a few times. So, um, yeah, I know him. What kind of football coach you? Because sometimes you hear coaches are just great coaches, no matter what sport they co- you know they coach. How do you think he'd be like as an NFL coach? Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's that's tough to answer. I know that you know he's gonna he's definitely gonna have have his guys ready. Um, you know, much like my football coach at Duke, Coach Cut, Coach Cut, right. you know, he uh, you know, he he's a really smart coach, brilliant. Um, you know, he knows how to, you know, get his guys ready to go out there and compete. Yeah. So I think that uh, Coach K would be very similar to, to, to Coach Cut if he was a football coach. Yeah, well, they definitely produce good coaches out there at Duke and good wide receivers as well. Thank you so much, Jamison, for being with us. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. And welcome back to the third quarter. This is the Twitter mailbag portion of the show. Always, always appreciate all the questions that come in. And we got a bunch of good ones here, so let's get right to it. At Sarkey520, what are your thoughts on Adam Gase's future at the end of the season? Will he get fired? My answer to that is uh, that's a long shot at this point. Now, if you're telling me the Jets are going to lose the rest of their games and go 2-14, and 14, then yes, I think that would be the result. If they go 3-13, and 13, probably so. But if they get to four or more, which I think they will, based on this easy schedule, then I think he'll be safe. Christopher Johnson does not want to pull the plug early after one season. He's invested a lot in Gase financially, also his reputation. They got Joe Douglas here, a Gase ally. I don't think they want to fire him unless it just becomes so brutally clear that the team is not performing. So the second question comes from at Eric underscore Schmidt 14 with more with seemingly more injuries than in any recent season. Is there some scrutiny that needs to be placed on the training staff? I just feel like this is way more than they've had in the past. You know, Eric, this is a great question. The Jets have had an inordinate number of injuries. I counted up 80 games lost for starters at this point, and that certainly will go higher. I expect it to go over 100. But, you know, I don't think you can put this on the training staff. I just think it's bad luck because, I mean, look at some of these injuries. You know, Winters, a shoulder, Darnold, Mono, Osemele, shoulder. Uh, Anunwa had the neck injury. Um, you know, let's see, Avery Williamson blew out his knee, Tremaine Johnson ankle. There aren't a lot of soft tissue injuries. Those are the ones you could directly link to the training staff. The one that jumps out, of course, is C.J. Mosley. He's had a severe groin injury, so that one's a concern. Chris Herndon missed four games with a hamstring. That's a soft tissue injury. And Jordan Jenkins missed a couple of games with a a calf injury. But other than those these have been just kind of fluky injuries, you know, like, you know, shoulders getting blown out and and uh, Quincy's neck, of course, is like a chronic issue. So I don't think you can blame that on the training staff. Next question from at Lewis Keith three with Robbie Anderson still struggling to produce. Do you think the Jets could take advantage and re-sign him after the season or do you think they let him walk as a free agent? Uh, the inference there being, of course, that they could get him at a good deal and because his production's low. And Lewis, no, I don't think so. I think they're going to let him walk. I just don't think they want to invest that much in a receiver who's really still kind of a one-trick pony. Next question comes from at Revis24Life. 
do you think uh, do you notice how Powell's runs were more productive than Bell's on Sunday? Clearly because he attacks the holes as to bowl as opposed to Bell's famous patience. I think that's backfiring. You know, this is a really interesting question. Unfortunately, with the access to NFL's next gen stats, we could really hone in on the answer here. And, you know, you're right, Revis. Uh, Le'Veon, his average time per, to get to the line of scrimmage against the Giants was 3.05 seconds. Slightly quicker for Bilal, it's 2.95 seconds to the line of scrimmage. So your point is proven there. Slightly, though, here's where there's a difference. They also are able to chart speed in terms of miles per hour when the player hits the line of scrimmage. In Bell's case, it was 7.77 miles per hour. In Bilal's case, 9.08. So he's hitting the holes quicker and he's hitting the holes faster. I think you make an excellent point. I think they should change it up a little bit and give Bilal some more carries. Next question, at B. Sassman. Uh, let's see. He was, uh, he was, I was at the game on Sunday and I didn't see any impact by Quinn and Williams against the hurt offensive line of the Giants. No tackles or stats if he can't produce against second and third stringers. Why was he considered the best talent in the draft? So, okay, let's look it up, Sassman. Uh, Quinnen played 42 snaps and you are correct. He had zero tackles. He did have one quarterback hit, um, but he was double teamed 19 times in the game, which was a team high. So, you know, that is part of the explanation. I think his ability to draw double teams helped guys like Jordan Jenkins in this game. Nathan Shepard, who was barely double teamed, also had his best game. But I know what you're saying. You know, this guy was hyped as the best guy in the draft, and he has not produced up to that level. I'm not ready to push the panic button yet. It's really still early, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. And our next question from at Johnny underscore back. Hey, Rich, love the podcast. Thank you, Johnny. Do you think the Jets will part ways with Greg Williams at the end of the year? Johnny, no. Unless you know something that I don't know, I think Greg has done a good job considering the injuries at linebacker and cornerback. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, their ranking on defense is not as low as you would think it was. So I think he's done a good job unless there's something going on behind the scenes with some clashing with Adam Gase. I do not see Greg going anywhere. I think he's done a pretty solid job and I think he'll be back. And uh, next question from at Deep Sky Maven. Here's a curveball, Rich. Where does Mike McCagnan wind up? Itzik, even Idzik is working for the Jaguars. So what do you think his next gig will be? McCagden, of course, the previous general manager. As far as I know, he's at home in Houston right now. And, you know, Mike, I don't think he'll ever be a general manager again. If he wants to get back into scouting, I think there'll be opportunities. He's not a guy with a lot of connections around the league. So maybe he gets back with the Texans because of his ties there. If not, I would not be shocked if someday, maybe not immediately, but someday he winds up as a uh, college teacher, uh, he has always had a passion for education. His parents were in education and he actually drove up to Syracuse last or two springs ago, spoke to my journalism class at Syracuse University. And he mentioned to me that he's always had a passion for teaching and being in a college atmosphere. So if he doesn't get another gig in the NFL, it wouldn't be 
a surprise to me if he ends up in a classroom, and I think he would do well there. And our last question comes from at T underscore Delgado 24. Is the team looking to re-sign Jordan Jenkins? What kind of contract would he be looking at? A very interesting question because Jordan, you know, he's producing. He had had two sacks on Sunday. He now has 17 and a half career sacks in four seasons. So I did some research here, and I think the guy to look at is Preston Smith, outside linebacker with Green Bay. He left the Redskins after four years, signed a free agent deal with Green Bay for $13 million per year. I don't think Jordan will get that much on the open market. Uh, he had 20, uh, Preston Smith had 24 and a half sacks in four years with Washington, so he's got a little bit more of a track record. But if the Jets let him hit the open market, I think Jordan Jenkins is looking at a deal somewhere in the 11 to $13 million a year category. I think he's a good player. He's a sneaky good pass rusher. He's good against the run. And yes, they are interested in re-signing him. I think that'll be something they try to get done before the year ends, much like they did last year with Quincy Anunwa. That would be a good proactive move for the Jets. And that is the end of the third quarter. And this is the fourth quarter. Thanks for hanging around. I just want to talk about, end this week's show, just on some of this Adam Gase scrutiny going on around town. And uh, believe me, no one understands the frustration of the Jet fan better than I do. I've been covering this team for 31 years. I've seen the lowest of the low moments. I understand the anger and the frustration of the fans. I've, I understand it from the players' perspective as well. I, I've had players, I've seen players crying after games just because they've been beaten down by the losing. I mean, that's how bad it's been. And uh, nine years out of the playoffs, 50 years since the Super Bowl, now going to be 51. I totally get it. I'm just philosophically opposed to flying a plane around the city demanding that the coach be fired. I just think there are better ways to channel the frustration. If you really want to get them, you know, go to the games, boo your lungs out, chant Gase must go, do stuff like that. Or better yet, don't even go to the games because nothing affects ownership more than empty seats. That sends a message. If you really want to send a message, that'll do it. Because that hits them in the pocketbook. And that's where owners do not want to be hit. But I understand it. You've been paying for an inferior product for nine years. Again, I just have a problem, you know, you know, flying a plane around a city. I mean, I think just some perspective in order here. This is a coach with some young children. They obviously see this. They hear this at school. I just think it's a little bit on the inhumane side. And there are better ways to channel the frustration. Gase, of course, not the first Jets coach to go through this. We've seen this through the generations. I was there in 96 with Rich Kotite. Nothing, you know, that was vicious. And, you know, he deserved to be fired. It was, he was dead man coaching for the last two months of that season. And I'll never forget his last press conference. His goodbye press conference was actually happened before the last game of the year. He announced that he was not being fired and he was not quitting, but that he was just stepping aside. So he became the first coach in history to step aside and he actually coached the last game, which was kind of weird. And I was with him as he was walking off the field through the tunnel. And I cannot even repeat what those fans were saying because we are a Disney owned property and I have to keep it clean, but that was pretty vicious. Bruce Coslett had it bad. And in 93, 
And he deserved it because the team stopped playing for him. I mean, they were actually in the playoff hunt for a while, but they lost four out of the last five. And you think the Jets' offense is bad now? Check this out. In the last six games of the Bruce Coslett tenure, Coslett, an offensive-minded coach, his offense produced 36 points over the last six games. Six points a game. That's mind-boggling. And he was fired, and deservedly so. But the guy who got it the worst... Now, I'm going back a little bit here, and maybe this predates some of my listeners, but from 93, rather from 83 to 89, Joe Walton was the coach, and this guy was just vilified. The Joe Must Go chant became part of New York sports lexicon. In fact, now, if you Google Joe Must Go, the first item that comes up is a reference to a New York Times story about 1987, Joe being booed. This wasn't a one or two time chance. This was for three years from 87 to 89. Every time the team did something bad in a game, the crowd would erupt into a loud Joe must go chant. And, you know, I remember once, I think it was a Thanksgiving Day practice. I brought my cousin out with me. He was a Jet fan about the same age as I am. And I introduced him to Joe. And the first thing Joe said was, you're probably one of those guys in the upper deck who's chanting Joe must go. And we all kind of stood there for a second, kind of stunned. I think he was trying to be funny, but it created a very awkward moment. So he obviously heard the chance. Joe must go. And eventually Joe did go because he was fired. After a 4-12 and season, I'll never forget his press conference. Day after Christmas, he gets fired. The only coach that I've covered, and I've covered a lot of them, as you know, the only coach who actually showed up for his firing press conference and answered questions. So I'll give him that. He didn't do a good job coaching, but he faced the music, and he went out like a man with his head held high after a rough season. So Joe did go, but he went out as a classy guy, and I'll never forget that. Most coaches just run away and never heard from again. Maybe put out a statement. Joe faced a live audience, and I always that always made an impression on me as a young reporter at the time. Well, that's the end of the show. I want to thank you again for stopping by. I want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting it together. And I want to thank Jamison Crowder, Jets wide receiver, for popping on. And hopefully he'll have a big game this week. I know he's facing his former team, Washington, and he wants to have a big one. So thanks for Jamison for stopping in. Please subscribe to pod, uh, to Flight Deck, and you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. And lastly, just remember, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it. <laughs>